Hello, everybody. This is Marshall Poe. I'm the editor of the New Books Network. NBN listeners like to read books and buy them. So we thought we'd tell you that right now, our friends at Princeton University Press are having a remarkable site-wide sale. You can get 50% off books, including ebooks and audiobooks, with the code 50, F-I-F-T-Y, at checkout until May 31. You can save some real money on Princeton University Press books. I encourage you to go there and check it out. Hello and welcome to the New Books Network, the African American Studies channel. I'm your host, James Stansel, and today you're going to get to hear a pretty personal story. Patrick Phillips of Drew University in New York wrote a book called Blood at the Root, A Racial Cleansing in America. And this is a story of an early 20th century racial incident in Forsyth County, Georgia, where he comes from, where he grew up, and how all the black people in the town essentially were kicked out of the town. Yes, no longer living in the town after that. And this is the same place, if some of you remember from the 1980s, when Oprah Winfrey did a show down in Georgia. This is that same county. And so Patrick wanted to know more about what happened that incident. He had heard about what had happened in the earliest 20th century, and he did the research, and he found out. And the book that resulted was Blood at the Root, A Racial Cleansing in America. And this book is published by Norton Press. I think you're going to enjoy this conversation that we have. So without any further ado, here we go on the New Books Network, the African-American Studies Channel. Hello and welcome to the New Books Network. This is your host, James Stansel, on the African-American Studies Channel, the New Book Network. And I have the great pleasure today of being here with Dr. Patrick Phillips of Drew University in New York. And we're going to be talking with him today about his book, Blood at the Root, a Racial Cleansing in America, published by Norton. Dr. Phillips, can you hear me? How are you today? I'm doing just fine, James. Thanks so much for having me on the show. It is my pleasure. And, you know, I saw your book when it, when it came out, and I was really interested in getting you on the show because I think it's, you know, a really good topic. We talked a little offline about, you know, young people in particular, but generally people knowing about past history and, and, and knowing and understanding how the events of the past can relate to the day. Um, so before we really get deep into your book, though, I really would like to know, you know, maybe your academic history or background and what motivated you to write this book? Well, you know, I have a pretty unique relationship to the material because I grew up. This, the book tells the story of the racial cleansing of Forsyth County, Georgia, which right. is north of Atlanta. And it's the place where I grew up. You know, I left there a long time ago, mm-hmm. but this is the place where I grew up from the time I was six years old until I went to college. Mm-hmm. I went to college at Tufts University in Boston, okay. which took me you know, a long way from a long way from Georgia. And I really haven't lived back there since I went away. But um, so, my, you know, my history is I went to college there. I later did graduate work in 17th century British literature at NYU. Um, I got very interested in poetry, wrote poetry. But through all of that, you know, this story, um, which is really the story of my home place Mm -hmm. and a a really kind of traumatic event in the history of the place, was always in my mind. And I had always heard it told in very vague and kind of mythic terms. So really what motivated me to write the book was just a lifelong curiosity about Mm -hmm. the truth that was behind all those myths. Okay. Well, you know, I'm so glad that you did, because there are many stories, I'm sure, um, personal stories like you have, you know, that other people have as well. And maybe perhaps your work with Blood at the Root can motivate some others to go out and explore the history of their areas. Well, I certainly hope that's the case. You know, I think that America 
has suffered from a lot of suppression of our history, particularly mm. the painful parts of our racial history and the violence directed towards African-Americans. And I think, you know, a lot of white Americans have not wanted to know, have had too little curiosity right. about how the places where they live came to be the way they are. So, you know, if, if the book had some of that effect, I think that'd be that'd be amazing. Mm-hmm. And, and Patrick, are there any particular people that, you know, you may want to give credit to or a, a shout out to, you know, well, there, there's a long list. You know, the, the book has about a 15 page acknowledgement section <laughs> right. at the end because when you work on something this long. But I guess primary are my mother and father, Absolutely. you know, who were raised. My parents were raised in Birmingham, Alabama. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they were typical when they were teenagers, typical white kids in 1950s mm-hmm. Birmingham, which, as most people know, is a real um, epicenter sure. of a lot of the worst racial violence of the, of the civil rights struggle. And, you know, my parents both rejected the segregation they were raised with and became activists. And so they've been a real inspiration my whole life. Um, also, you know, the descendants of the of the black families who were forced out of Forsyth mm-hmm. County, a lot of the great grandchildren and great great grandchildren of the black community of Forsyth, you know, got a call from a random white dude asking <laughs> about their families, you know, and asking if they would talk with me, if they would exchange letters with me. Some of them welcomed me into their homes, wow. you know, dug out, dug out photographs from up in their closets and stuff. So probably the biggest shout out would have to be to the descendants of those families, because without them, you know, I could have never learned some of this. And hopefully they're, they're listening. We want to make sure that uh, they get to hear this podcast and, as well as, you know, Patrick's mom and dad, you did good. He did a great job. <laughs> you raised them right. And he did a great job on this book. And again, we're here with Drew University professor Patrick Phillips, his book, Blood at the Root, A Racial Cleansing in America. And this is a book that's published by Norton. And we're here on the African-American Studies channel of the New Books Network. And again, Dr. Phillips, thank you so much for taking some time with us. This is a very personal story for you. And, you know, I, you know, I really appreciate your work and your research and, and you know, and, and sharing it, um, you know, with a, a larger audience. And I'm sure the connections that you made with those descendants of the families in Forsyth County will stick with you for a long time. Absolutely. You know, and there was a certain point when I was working on the book, when I realized that more than anyone else, it was those families who I wanted to hand a copy of the book oh, yes. to, you know, when, when it was just a file on my computer and it's some, you know, this kind of historical research involves a lot of hustle, a lot of um, yes. wrong, wrong turns and dead ends and things that don't actually pan out. And so there were moments when I was wondering if this was going to all add up to anything. But one of the motivations was a desire to help those help those people know their story and know the story and really know the 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 heroism of their ancestors and this incredible um resilience that they because this is a story about what they suffered but it's also a story about what they overcame absolutely well well yeah well said not just their suffering but overcoming overcoming those challenges and i think you know if folk you know sit down and, and and really read and 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 process your book patrick they will see that it is a story of, you know, overcoming, not just the struggles, but but overcoming over time. And you told that story. So good job. You- well, I'm glad I'm glad of that. You know, and one of the one of the goals was to was to really unearth a story that had been denied for a very long time. So, you know, Forsyth County in 1912 was home to eleven hundred African-Americans. Okay. And, uh, you know, I grew up. 80 years, you know, I grew up in Forsyth County in the 1970s and 80s, so really 70, 80 years afterwards. Right. And I was led to believe that that black community, um, you know, had all been marginal, 
all very poor people who owned nothing, who were then forced out of the county in 1912 during these waves of night riding and violence. Right. And when, when I looked into the details, what I found was this community included um, black ministers, it included school teachers, it included landowners, it included people who were deeply enmeshed in their community. Right. Um, and so, you know, learning that learn, in this case, the devil really was in the details and the mythology of the story had always really erased individuals and erased some of the, you know, the full horror of this. And, and, and this turns out to be part of our historical legacy, not just in yes. Versailles County, but all over America. So I, you know, I, I did feel very strongly that I was involved in a kind of time travel. You know, I really wanted to go back and find out who these people were, who had always just been this absence in my life as a white American. This, this community had always been just this absence, this vanished people. Mm-hmm. And it, it was empowering. And, you know, it felt like a very worthy use of my energy to try to go back and find out who they were and, and you know, exactly what happened to them. And so, you know, just in terms of an estimate, you know, for people maybe who would be interested in doing some work like this, you know, on their own personal stories, you know, how how long did you, you know, would you estimate that it took for you to maybe get to the point where you felt like you were done? You're never done, of course. But no, that's true. And, and you know, I mean, since the book has come out and has gotten a certain amount of attention, like people are still contacting me with new information, you know, (laughs) before I had to try to find them. Now, occasionally they find me, which is which is an interesting reversal. But, um, you know, I I would say I first started thinking seriously about this almost 10 years ago. Wow. Um, And that was when I had a conversation with a friend of mine. Um, Natasha Treadway is a is a pretty well-known poet. Right. And she's an African-American woman and we're old friends. And she, you know, she knew a little bit about the reputation of Forsyth County. And probably 10 years ago, you know, Natasha said to me, why do you never write about that? Why have you never Mm. why have you never told that story? And she said, you know, do you think race is only a subject for black writers? And she sort of really put me a challenge and she wow. said, you know, do you, she said, do you think you're not involved? Um, and I took, you know, that was a real, that moment shook me and it made me really, um, you know, I think I sputtered out some kind of excuse or some kind of lame reason for why, <laughs> for why I had never done it. But I, I went home and I thought about it a lot. And that, that moment really started me um, at first, just out of personal curiosity. Right. I didn't think I was writing a book. I didn't know I was writing a book. I was just curious and, you know, the Internet is an amazing tool. Mm-hmm. And for much of my life, a lot of this was unknowable. And I thought it would be forever unknown. And then I started searching on, you know, Ancestry.com and Newspapers.com. Mm-hmm. Started looking at all of these documents that are digitized now that right. you can find on the Web. And it hit me after, you know, probably five years after I had that conversation with Natasha it hit me that with enough work, this might be knowable. I might be able mm-hmm. to find out the re- the real story. And so, you know, I'd say I, I worked at it in a sort of amateur way, not sure what I was doing okay. for a good for a good five years. And then the research and writing took another five okay. years. So, wow. so yeah, uh, 10 years. Wow. Yeah, I don't I think I think, you know, maybe five from when I decided okay. I really was going to try to turn it into a book. OK. Yeah. Well, yeah. kudos to your friend Natasha there. Yeah, it was one of those rare, really frank conversations between, you know, across the racial line. And she she's a dear friend. And I look back on that and I realize she did 
a beautiful thing, which was she sure challenged did. me. She challenged me, and she also challenged me in a way that said, "Come on, help me out. Right. Like, join the struggle. Join." It wasn't. It wasn't like. It was really like, join us. Mm-hmm. Start working for change here. Absolutely. You know? So, Natasha, if you're listening, which I'm sure you are, you're done good. <laughs> Excellent work. I gotta, I gotta give you credit as well for this book. I mean, because it's, it's really with my, you know, myself. We were talking offline, Patrick. I'm, I'm in Houston, Texas now, but I'm originally from North Carolina. All my growing up years in North Carolina, and it's reminded me so much of some of the experiences that I, I had and the, the history. Mm-hmm you know, of, of my, you know, hometown, you know, because Georgia yeah. and North Carolina have, have some, they're different. They do have some, some similarities. Oh yeah. And Patrick, that's, it's a great point that you make. And it's something that I really want to emphasize to, to our listeners is that, you know, this is the African-American studies channel, you know, but this is our history. This is everyone's history. It's American history. It's American I think that's history. right. You know, and no one should be afraid. Any of you folk out there who, you know, who want to become historians or, or you want to tell your story, you don't necessarily have to be of, of one race or another, because this is all our history. It's all our stories. Patrick grew up in this area. It's his story as much as it is anyone's. And, you know, as you heard him say, the people who are the descendants were very pleased and proud of the work that, that he did as well they should be. Yeah, I agree with all of that, James. And, and to be honest, you know, the more I looked into this, because the, the research mm-hmm. took me back to 1912, it eventually took me even further back, because wow. in order to... In order to understand how the community got to be the way it was in 1912, I needed to understand about slave days in right. Forsyth County. I needed to understand about Reconstruction. Um, this is also the area where the Cherokee removals happened right, in, the 18, right. in the 1830s. Yeah, so Georgia, yeah. eventually I found myself all the way back in the 1830s because some of the families I was researching some in families who lived there in 1912, mm-hmm. some of their ancestors had participated in the Cherokee removals. Mm-hmm. So, um, so one thing I was going to say about what you were just talking about is that mm-hmm. the more I learned about that community, the more it became clear that it's not just a metaphor to say that we're all interconnected and related. Many of the black and white families in Forsyth are genetically related. Literally. <laughs> and this is true yeah. also all over America. All so there was a, there was an amazing feeling when I got back with those ancestors, with, with the descendants and was I've met them at events in Atlanta. I mean, it felt like a kind of family reunion because they, they're awesome. from their their families going far enough back are from where I'm from. So it felt like you know, it really did feel like lost siblings, you know, and, and that, that might sound overblown or kind of like a, a grand metaphor. But but on a genetic level, that's true in America. And that's something I think we deny. And that's something that. You know, we're a long way off from that feeling of reunion, but I think I don't think that the goal should be any less than that, a sense of, of reunion, you know. Well said. And we can't give up, Patrick. You know, we can keep trying. I know right now in our country, you know, we are, are pretty divided and there are some yeah. challenges, but that's OK. You know, and I think, you know, if people who you know read your work and hear about your experiences and it was a healing process for you, I'm sure, as well, you know, doing this work. Well, it's gotten a lot of people talking, at least, you know, whether it's healing. One of the things that's challenging is, um, you know, we are divided. I think we're divided um, in in really painful ways. Right. I think that, you know, the violence um, against, you know, that the shootings of, of members of black communities by the police is an ongoing thing that's painful to watch for everyone, I think. And, you know, some of that has very deep roots in our history, and some of the relationships between um, law enforcement and black communities are really, really fraught because right. of historical reasons. And yes. so I think that, 
you know, I was also, as I was working on the book, you know, this was around the time that Michael Brown was killed, that Eric Garner was killed, that Freddie Gray was killed. And, you know, there was just this inescape. I had this inescapable sense that like the headlines, because my book also tells the story of the lynching of a man named Rob Edwards on the town square. And Rob was known that he was a big man and he was known as Big Rob Edwards. And, you know, when I was reading about Michael Brown, I read references Mm. from his friends as Big Mike. And when I heard about Eric Garner, he was Big Eric. And I just like I just like, you know, the parallels across 100 years were were chilling. And there was a point where I just couldn't, I hadn't thought that the book had much to do with current events. Mm -hmm. And then I couldn't escape the fact that I kept reading in the newspaper and seeing headlines, you know, violent clashes against these young men that were real echoes of what I was researching in 1912. So, um, you know, I mean, I guess one takeaway from that is, you know, there's no way to understand the present without looking backwards and thinking about, about the past. That what's the cliche expression? Those who don't learn from history are doomed to repeat it. Right. I think that's us right now. I think that's us right now. And I think that a lot of white Americans walk, you know, white America includes people who walk around with two different versions of history in their heads. Mm. And, and the version of history that they have is a very good predictor of what their attitudes are towards Black Lives Matter, what their attitudes are towards, you know, police violence. Mm-hmm. And I, I think there's a there's a real wave of denial and, you know, I don't I don't know how we go forward if we don't try to convince some people to, to turn and face more of the reality of what the 20th century was like, you know, it, not the mythology. And your book does a great job with that, Patrick. And again, I'm here with Patrick Phillips, a professor at Drew University in New York. And his book is Blood at the Root, a racial cleansing in America. And it's published by Norton. And this book you know, as Patrick has said, has gotten a fair amount of attention. So it's one that I definitely recommend for you. It's a personal story for him, but it's one that, you know, maybe people who grew up in a certain time period in certain regions of the country, you know, it's not going to be something that's that unfamiliar to you. You may have heard some similar stories yourself. And, you know, for, for me, you know, Patrick, you know, you know, as I was going through and, and preparing for this and, and reading your book, you know, I was thinking about Rosewood in Florida. Yeah, absolutely. You know, it made me think about Rosewood or uh, Tulsa. Absolutely. 1921. Yeah. If, if your listeners want to Google Tulsa in 1921, right. do a Google image search. You will see images of the aerial bombardment of the, you know, biggest black neighborhood in Tulsa, Oklahoma. And, you know, whites were dropping dynamite from airplanes onto houses. So absolutely. I mean, this, there's nothing unique about what happened in Forsyth. The part that is a little bit unique is that it lasted so long right. and that I, I grew up when it was a quote white whites only area. Mm. And that was in the, that was on into the late eighties. So, um, but you're absolutely right to think of Rosewood and to think of Tulsa and these other, these other episodes. And for, and for myself growing up as a young man, Patrick, you know, uh, driving through Georgia, there were certain parts of Georgia that we're told, you know, you don't stop. You don't. That's right. You, you that's right. You don't get off the, the interstate there or you don't stop in some some of those arees. You know, no, I heard I heard that repeatedly from people who I was from from, you know, especially you know, people in the Atlanta area. Right. They all were told not that, you know, you, you drive around, even if it takes you an extra hour, you drive around rather than go through there. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. And so that's, you know, un- unfortunate. But, you know, it's, it's reality. And though we've really come a long way. In our country, I mean, there's certainly still some issues in, you know, in, in some pockets, you know, 
as a you know as a as a high school teacher, you know, uh, I taught psychology, and you know, I often talked about segregated proms. And yeah, I had students who did not believe that those things happen, and you know, when we researched them, you know, several places in Georgia, you know, still have yeah, oh, it's and Texas too. I think there's oh, some yeah. places in Texas. Yeah, you know, I think one of the things that brings up James is that, you know. I was raised as the son of, of progressive activist white parents, you know, who'd grown up, who, you know, they grew up in the, in the Birmingham of Bull Connor and George Wallace. And they, they've seen the, they've seen a lot of bad um, behavior over the years, but I was raised on a narrative that was very dear to them, which was a, a kind of a view of progress. Right. Oh, okay. that, that, and their, their view was, and I was taught and I still, you know, I, I, sympathize and I understand why they believe this, but mm-hmm. that every day um, the progress myth says every day America gets a little more just, mm-hmm. you know, every tick of the clock hand, we get a little bit closer to racial justice. And I think that myth, that's a myth of people on the left, even right, like progressive mm-hmm. white people. This is very dear to them. And I think one of the things that I learned writing the book okay. was it is not that simple, right? There are these moments, like you said, even in even in a country where Barack Obama is president, there are high schools that still have a segregated prom. There are still places that people of color don't drive through for fear of violence. Uh, and, you know, the reality, when I was looking at the book, you know, some of the families I was tracing were better off in 1867 when the Federal Freedmen's Bureau was protecting wow. them than they were in 1912. Ugh. So, I, you know, I was forced to face the reality that there are these moments when the gears of progress go into reverse mm. and, the gain, and the gains of one generation are given back by their children and grandchildren. And, you know, this is something that worries, that should, I think, worry all of us, you know, with the election of Donald Trump and the rhetoric of his campaign. And the moment we're in now, mm-hmm. again, I had a sense of recognition because, you know, the period I was writing about Woodrow Wilson was in the White House. Mm-hmm. He was a man who segregated the, the you know, the federal government, segregated yes. the Postal Service, you know, ruled out jobs that had gone to people of color all the way back to Reconstruction. Mm-hmm. So we've had, you know, Donald Trump is far from the first racist in the White House. But, there, you know, <laughs> but there, there's this sense that, that, you know, I the book made me give up this notion that. Things only move forward. We do sometimes go in reverse and things go backwards. And uh, let, let me just say for the record, the views expressed by Patrick Phillips are his alone. <laughs> <laughs> That's all right. And I, not, I, don't, uh, <laughs> I don't want to get you to each other. And, um, and, and not necessarily those of the New Books Network. Not, okay, understood. Not necessarily. Understood. That's fair enough. And listen, I, I don't have any interest in dividing the country further. I want to try to bring it together as well. So I say that, um, <laughs> you know, I say that meaning that I think all of us have to face the the damage of some of the rhetoric sure. that we've heard. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I'm, I'm here. It's like you you all as an audience, are just you just stepped into our dorm room and we're just having a good time here. <laughs> Dr. Patrick Phillips, a professor at Drew University. Um, This is James Stansel, your host of the African-American Studies channel of the New Books Network. And we're talking about his book today, published by Norton Press. It's called Blood at the Root, A Racial Cleansing in America. And Patrick is talking, you know, he wrote about and he researched a very personal story from his life in his hometown in Forsyth County, Georgia. And about, you know, uh, I'll I'll let let you tell it. You know, again, you can tell it better than me. You did the research for (laughs) For, for years upon years, but, you know, you know, what would be some of the major points or, or elements that you want to share from your work? 
Well, really, the book tells the, the story of a period of about three months in the fall of 1912, when following an accusation of rape, mm -hmm. which is frequently how lynchings and racial cleansing began, yes. following an accusation of rape, three young black men were arrested. One man was lynched on the town square in a lynching that you know, was part, there were several thousand people were present and right. they all participated in this lynching. And then in the months that followed, the two, two teenage boys, age 16 and 18, mm -hmm. were found guilty in a one day trial and then hung. Mm -hmm. And in the wake of, and in the wake of all of this, uh, you know, 1100 black residents of the county were driven out and they were driven out by the first, the first thing the mobs targeted were churches. You know, five black churches were burned in the first few weeks of this. Mm -hmm. And, you know, Night Riders fired shots into doors. They left warnings. They posted warnings. And uh, over the course, of, by the end of 1912, that entire black population had all been pushed across the county line. Wow. And, you know, this is a story that I was told in really vague and kind of mythic terms. What I learned and I was one of the myths was that this was the work of the Klan, mm -hmm. you know, that the Klan did this. And that was another revelation of the research was there was no Klan in America in 1915. Mm -hmm. The Klan. The Klan had been prosecuted until 1915. So in 1912, the Klan had been prosecuted out of existence in the 1870s, and it wouldn't reform until 1915. So, you know, when I finally found a letter written by a, a woman who had been in the county during these events, mm -hmm. there was a line that really stuck with me and, and challenged everything I'd ever been told as a kid. And she said, you know, it weren't the Klan done this mm. in her letter. She said it was just ordinary people of the county. Mm. And, you know, that 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 moment really confirmed a sense I was starting to get that, that the story of the Klan helped protect people from their own, uh, sense of, right. uh, their own sense of guilt and their own sense of shame about what had happened. Mm -hmm. And the reality is it wasn't white sheeted night riders. This was something that was done by, you know, well-known local people, mm. um, you know, who, who really banded together. And this was a concerted effort that was kept up over the course of months. Mm. And so on that note, Patrick, I, I must ask you, you know, you, you mentioned the descendants uh, of the black residents. You know, you, you know, you spoke with them and you did this work for them. What kind of reaction or response have you gotten from the, you know, the white residents or people, you know, who are there right now? You know, there's it's been an interesting experience because Forsyth County is very different now than it was when I lived there in right. the 80s. So the population then was 30, 35,000. Today it's 200,000. Oh, and so this is also kind of makes the story even more significant to me is this this place was rural, you know, chicken houses and cow pastures when we lived there. It is now the hottest real estate market in Atlanta. It is full of office parks and big box stores and, you know, gated communities and golf courses. So this is really a very affluent area of Atlanta now. And, um, you know, some of that land once belonged to the black farmers mm. and people who I describe in the book. So that's really heartbreaking. And it, 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 you know, it argues that, that this kind of history, the stakes are higher than just telling the story there, you know, Ta-Nehisi Coates has written about how his case for reparations yes. isn't just about generalized injustice. It's about specific crimes mm -hmm. and specific damage to specific property owners. So that precise is one of those cases. Uh, but back to, you know, back to your question, mm -hmm. There have been it's brought out many more people than I expected who were grateful for the book, who didn't know the history of the county. There is a black community in Forsyth now, four, four, four percent, you know, still a very wow. small part of the population, um, still one of the whitest 
you know, large counties in America. But, you know, there's been some nice response from people who are very grateful to hear the story. I've even heard from some longtime white residents mm-hmm. who who actually never agreed with this whites only policy, but they mm-hmm. they themselves were too afraid to speak out. That often happens. Yeah. So it's brought out the notion that there are white people. You know, Oprah Winfrey came to Forsyth in 87. I remember that very well. Yeah. And at the end of that episode, one of the things she said into the camera, she's like, there are a lot of white people in this community who are afraid of other white people. You know, so. um, So and then, of course, I've also seen some response that that I I knew it was going on that the my local paper, the Atlanta Journal-Constitution, the. They posted an excerpt from the book online. And then, you know, when I when that went up online, it meant I could scroll down and look at the anonymous comments. Um, Right. Yeah. (laughs) And that's where you find it. You know, that's where I found people saying things that I heard growing up saying, why are you dredging this up? Mm. You know why? This is ancient history. This has nothing to do with 2016. This is not the world we live in. And, you know, basically people who want to deny that there's any relevance to any of this to, mm. to the world we live in today. So, you know, that, that's kind of the range of, of responses. OK. And I'm, I'm here with Dr. Patrick Phillips. He's a professor at Drew University in New York. His book is Blood at the Root, A Racial Cleansing in America, it's published by Norton. It's definitely a book I think you should check out. It's his personal story, in a sense. It's his hometown, his, his area, Forsyth County in Georgia. And I know that you are grading some papers. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. <laughs> Thank you for, you know, stopping for, you know, just to kind of talk with us on the, on the New Books Network. So I don't want to, it's December too. I know we're going into the end of uh, fall semester. So I don't want to hold you, you know, all day because I definitely feel like we could sit and talk about this book and many other topics, you know, on and on and on. Yeah, absolutely. So I appreciate your time. But I did want to, you know, maybe kind of give you an opportunity to, you know, lead the audience, you know, with any, you know, final words or yeah. thoughts. And then also, Patrick, if you don't mind, maybe you could tell us a little bit more about some of your current research or current projects that you're working on. Sure. Well, I, you know, if I had one message for your listeners, and particularly I'm thinking of students or, you know, right. anyone who's who's wondering, you know, how to use their talents and what to do with, sure. with their energy. You know, I, I would just say when you see a book on the shelf, when I see books on the shelf, I always assume that that's someone nothing like me who who had some expertise right. or some magic that I don't have. And the reality is the whole time I was working on this, I didn't know if I knew how to do it. I had never written a book like this. Mm-hmm. I didn't know. I thought constantly, who am I to tell this story? You know, who am I to do this? You know, somebody, surely somebody else with more credentials or more expertise or, you know, more justification will do this. And then, you know, I think it's one of the reasons it took me a long time is I'm in my mid forties. And at a certain point it hit me that, uh, you know, nobody else was going to write the, the right. story of this, that if I wanted to read it, I had to figure it you out myself. So that's just kind of a, a message to anyone out there who's um, lacks, you know, confidence. I, you think that the people who, who do something ha- had confidence along the way. I had, I didn't have enough confidence at all. I was constantly questioning myself. I was never quite sure, but you know, the only solution is to keep going and Absolutely. to see where, to see where it leads. So, well, you know, that, that that's a lesson of the whole project. Absolutely. You know? And it reminds me a lot of what President Obama said, you know, you are the person that you're waiting for or, you know, we're the people that we're waiting for. I mean, that's literally true. When I was a kid, I remember going to the library in Cumming, Georgia, in the middle of where all this happened and and hoping to find the book that would explain the truth about mm-hmm. what I heard from kids. And on the bus and on the playground, I was like, surely there's a book in here somewhere that tells what really happened. And, you know, 
that book didn't exist, but you know, one of the things that motivated me was that like now it does. I, I can now say, can find it. It yeah. does now. And it, yeah, was, and it yeah. was written by Patrick Phillips. <laughs> Mom and Dad, you did good. I told you, you did good. <laughs> awesome work. And we're here again with Patrick Phillips, Blood at the Root, A Racial Cleansing in America. And it's about Forsyth County, Georgia, you know, early 20th century, uh, you know, a, a, a three-month period of time that some really serious racial things happened. And the, the impact, the long, long-term long impact of those events. And Patrick, you know what? What are you working on now? And I, I should say too, I, I haven't mentioned this earlier. Your your background before this book was more in, into poetry, right? That's right. I wrote three books of poems, and I spent, you know, before writing this book, I spent twenty years mostly um, teaching poetry, reading reading wow. contemporary poetry, and and um, and yeah, writing books of poems. So that's the world I come from, it, you know. And again, that it wasn't part of a plan to then that that would be preparation for writing this book. But in some ways, I think it was in that, you know, I spent a lot of time thinking about sentences and trying to write language that I thought um, was precise and accurate and beautiful. And, you know, it turns out that's good. That's not bad preparation for writing a different kind of of book. So, yeah. And as far as future work, you know, there's a story that that inevitably you discover things that are difficult to fit into the project you have in hand. And, um, you know, the, the one thing that I found in my research on Reconstruction era Georgia was th- a story about bind- what were known as binding cases. Mm-hmm. And this was in the immediate aftermath of emancipation. And when a lot of slaves were emancipated, the, their former owners allowed the adults to leave and they would keep the children. Mm. And the legal mechanism they used for this was a was a binding agreement, which was a vestige of the apprentice system. So a lot of former slave owners would go to the county courthouse, fill out a binding agreement, and thereby those children were never emancipated. So it's a it's a story I want to follow some more because it it actually challenges our mythology around emancipation, because for many people under the age of 18, Mm -hmm. um, the Emancipation Proclamation changed nothing in their lives. Mm. Well, when you get that project a little further along, I definitely want you back here on the New Books Network, Patrick. I would love that, James. It's been an absolute pleasure being on, man. I really appreciate the conversation. Uh, it's, it's my pleasure. Like I said, it's just like we're sitting around like the old days back in the 90s for us, right? You're sitting around <laughs> the dorm right. talking about the things that we want to do. And you that's know what? Right. You wanted to do it, and you did it. And that's an important message for everyone listening out there. This was something that Patrick wanted to do. It wasn't necessarily... You know, it wasn't poetry. It wasn't something that would have come as natural or easy for him. But he did the work and he did the research. and He did an outstanding job. And, you know, in terms of reading this book, it is something that is highly readable. You know, like you said, I could tell that, you, so. that you work, you know, to make it. And this is not necessarily an overly academic book where only, you know, people with PhDs are going to sit around and read it. This book is accessible for everyone. And if you know, it's a yeah, I agree. To, I mean, it's a dramatic story. And I, I didn't ever want to lose the thread of the story. You know, you start to care about these people. Absolutely. And, you know, it's, it's very possible if there are any film producers listening out there. <laughs> I'm sure Patrick would take your call. Right, Patrick, you think 100 percent. I'll be I'll be waiting by the phone. Yeah. I mean, because this is one of those stories. Oprah, if you're listening, let's put this on OWN. It's, it's good. Right there with Queen Sugar and the rest. Let's put this on OWN. So on that note, I think we're going to we're going to turn Patrick loose so he can go, get back to grading. I know that very well. We talked about that on offline <laughs> on my days as a classroom teacher. I know what it's like the closer we get to winter break. 
So, yeah, that time of year, yes, indeed. Yeah, so Patrick, if you could say goodbye to the audience there, we're going to turn you loose, my friend. All right, goodbye, folks, and thank you all so much for listening, James. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. Absolutely. And thank you, everyone. This is James Stansel, your host on the African-American Studies channel of the New Books Network. And again, Norton Press, Blood at the Root, A Racial Cleansing in America, written by Drew University's Patrick Phillips. If you're from Georgia, if you're from anywhere in the country and you want to know a personal story about things that will happen in the early 20th century, and this is not just black history, as Patrick and I just discussed earlier, this is everyone's history, everyone's history. So definitely check out his story, and I'll see you next time on the New Books Network. Take care. All right. Well, I hope you enjoyed that interview with Patrick Phillips. He's a great poet, but as you can also now see, he's a great historical researcher. And his book was Blood at the Root, A Racial Cleansing in America, published by Norton, Patrick Phillips of Drew University. Definitely go and check this book out. You know, if you're from Georgia or anywhere in the South or really anywhere in the country, this is a book about how African-Americans were forced to leave Forsyth County, Georgia after a racial incident. But this is not African-American history. This is history, American history. This is everyone's history. Georgia is not the only place that something like this happened. So in telling his story, he's telling America's story. So again, check out the book, Blood at the Root, A Racial Cleansing in America by Patrick Phillips. And on that note, I'll see you next time on the African-American Studies channel of the New Books Network. I'm your host, James Stencil. Take care.